Welcome to Piano Rhapsody, an amateur's guide to classical piano. This is a podcast where you follow the musical journey of an amateur piano player who is striving to play advanced level works one day, specifically Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue, which is where the podcast gets its name. Every week, we break down one of the pieces that I encounter along the road to this goal, ranging from the 18th century all the way up to modern day. We'll explore the history surrounding the work, examine the music within, and hopefully we all walk away a little more informed and appreciative of classical music. This is episode 18.1, the first in a new series where we are going to introduce a new composer to the podcast, Romantic-era composer Felix Mendelssohn. Throughout musical history, we've seen many classic examples of songwriting duos where one person in the pair writes the music, while the other writes the lyrics. Elton John and Bernie Taupin, Rodgers and Hammerstein, Mick Jagger and Keith Richards, Carol King and Jerry Goffin, and I couldn't miss a chance to bring up George Gershwin and his brother Ira. These pairs had to be so connected that two different elements from two different minds came together as one to create something that resonated with people. I guess it helps explain why one of those pairs was a married couple and one pair were brothers. Mendelssohn was a bit of a songwriter himself, and if this wasn't an auditory medium, I'd be putting that word in quotes. Mendelssohn's greatest contribution to the piano world, and what we're going to spend the next four weeks talking about, is a collection called The Songs Without Words. These works fit the bill that many romantic composers were putting out during this time. Short, lyric piano works. Mendelssohn wrote eight different volumes of these songs throughout his career, spanning from 1829 to 1845. Each volume contains six pieces, for a total of 48 songs in the grand collection. Jumping back into this time in history, the piano was becoming increasingly popular throughout Europe. It was not only an instrument for the upper class, but was a common feature in many middle-class homes as well. Mendelssohn's songs without words were incredibly popular, especially with the middle class, because they didn't require virtuosic-level skill to play. If the billboard charts existed during the 1800s, these would be topping the list. And because of their popularity, critics tended to undervalue them, it's that same critical backlash that still occurs today. If it's too popular, it's not cool to like it. But Mendelssohn's work still had plenty of defenders, and fellow performers like Busoni, Czerny, and Rubinstein rightfully celebrated these pieces as works of a master composer, and they included them in their own recitals. Today, Mendelssohn is regarded as one of the most prominent composers of the Romantic period. And the songs without words are regarded as some of the most beautiful pieces of music ever written. During an episode of Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee, which, if you're unfamiliar, is a show where Jerry Seinfeld picks up celebrities in antique cars and takes them out for breakfast, Jerry Seinfeld asks Stephen Colbert, what is the last thing you want to hear before you die? Colbert's response was, 
Mendelssohn's Song Without Words, which is short, maybe about two and a half minutes long or something. Now, we can't be entirely sure which song Colbert had in mind, but perhaps you'd be pleased to know that there are 47 others he may enjoy just as much. I do appreciate his taste, though. Before we go much further, we should probably address the obvious elephant in the room. Why did Mendelssohn call these songs if they don't have lyrics? Well, I've affectionately named this series Mendelssohn Forgot the Lyrics, but it was actually a deliberate omission. One of Mendelssohn's friends tried to convince him to actually add lyrics to some of these pieces, and this was his reply. People often complain that music is too uncertain in its meaning, that what they should be thinking as they hear it is unclear, whereas everyone understands words. With me, it's exactly the reverse, and not only in the context of an entire speech, but also with individual words. These two seem to me so uncertain, so vague, so easily misunderstood in comparison to genuine music that fills the soul with a thousand things better than words. The thoughts expressed to me by the music I love are not too indefinite to be put into words, but on the contrary, too definite. So basically, Mendelssohn didn't want his music to be interpreted too literally. He believed the music spoke clearly enough on its own, without words. Felix Mendelssohn was born into a prominent German-Jewish family in 1809. His grandfather Moses was an esteemed German philosopher. His uncle Joseph started the German-based Mendelssohn & Company Bank that flourished until the Nazis forced them to hand their assets over to the Deutsche Bank in 1938. His family had both wealth and an intellectual social circle. So Felix grew up with every advantage a child could imagine, and with prominent figures just waltzing through his living room. He was the second of four children. His older sister, Fanny, also inherited the genes for musical talent and composition. Mendelssohn's father, Abraham, did not raise his children within the Jewish faith, going as far as baptizing his children in a Reformed Protestant church and changing their surname to Bartholdi. This created a schism within Felix that would persist throughout his entire life. He never dismissed his Jewish origins outright, and instead celebrated them throughout his work. And he partially refused his father's attempt at a name change by adopting a hybrid last name of Mendelssohn Bartholdi throughout his professional life. In personal letters between him and his sister Fanny, they would reference the Bartholdi name as, quote, the name that we all dislike. Speaking of Mendelssohn's sister, the phrase song without words was linked to her too. The origin of this title is a possible reference to a game that they played as children where they made up lyrics for piano pieces. Fanny Mendelssohn also wrote pieces that she titled songs without words. In fact, Here's a hot take for you. Composer Charles Gounod claimed in his memoirs that some of Felix's songs without words are actually Fanny's works, published under her brother's name. 
Today, we're going to take a look at one of these lyricless songs. And why not start out with number one from book number one? This piece is arguably the most well-known in the entire collection. And it's probably the one that Stephen Colbert was referencing during his interview. It's written in the key of E major. The key of quarrelsome, boisterous, incomplete pleasure. Shouts of joy, complete delight, yet bickering, short-fused, and ready to fight. You know, sometimes I feel like these emotional key descriptions are a little paradoxical. I can definitely see the shouts of joy, pleasure, and delight here in this piece. But this song is a lover, not a fighter. There is not a single bone in this song's body that would be ready for a fight. It's a moving, delicate thing of beauty. Let's hear the first couple of lines to get a taste of what this piece is all about. This is one of those pieces that sounds deceptively simple until you try to play it. There are three voices at play here, the bass line, the middle voice, and the melody line. Since this is a song, the goal is to let the melody line shine through the other parts at all times. The thing that makes this a little bit tricky is the fact that the middle voice has the busier part so it's actively trying to steal away some of that attention. I'm going to play the first section again, but this time I'm going to drop out that middle voice, so all we're left with is the melody and the bass line. That may sound pretty hollow at the moment, but this is our focal point. This is what we want to shine through. Now, let me isolate the middle voice for you. These are the running arpeggiated 16th notes that provide the harmonic coloring to the piece and give it its structure and its richness. This is the motor that runs through the entire piece until the very last measure. Then when we add them all together, we get the complete sound of all three voices at once, with the melody line hopefully piercing through, grabbing your attention.
Aside from the three-part voicing, this piece is set in a basic ternary form of A-B-A. What we just discussed would be the A section, with its descending, falling theme. The B section contains a more dynamic harmonic evolution, and it has a rising theme that builds momentum and tension. Then the harmonic evolution takes us right back to E major, where the A section makes a similar, but not identical, return. The piece gradually softens and begins to fade away until it lands like a soft pillow onto its final chord of E major, giving us all a sense of harmonic completeness as we're ending exactly where our ears want us to be. This is the first selection from Mendelssohn's Songs Without Words, Opus 19, number 1.
Well, we are definitely in the romantic period now. Especially coming straight off of Mozart, this exploration of Mendelssohn is going to be a welcome palate cleanser. Hopefully I'm not alone, and you have enjoyed this piece of music as much as I have, because we're going to spend three more weeks right here. Next week, we'll take on another one of these songs without words. Maybe something a little darker next time. You could find the standalone recording of the piece we discussed today directly in the podcast feed. Check out Piano Rhapsody on SoundCloud for all the tracks around this podcast and more. You can find me on Twitter at Piano Rhapsody or email me at pianorhapsodypodcast at gmail.com. If you haven't already, the best way to support the podcast is to hit that subscribe button on your podcatcher and consider rating or reviewing. It's the easiest way to never miss a new episode, and it also helps the podcast gain more visibility. Thank you, as always, for your time and your ears. And remember, the piano keys are black and white, but they sound like a million colors in your mind.